stand like Noah since you had him last week. And finally figured out why they use gopher wood. God, God and Noah were talking to each other. God didn't really know. Really she was dying. Ain't no partner. I don't know. All right, let's ooh, go ahead and get started tonight if we can, please. We are glad that you're here tonight. As you can tell already, I'll make the announcement twice. We don't have a bulletin tonight because Jimmy is under the weather after she got back, so we don't have a bulletin tonight. And, uh, you know, Jimmy's probably as close to indispensable as anybody possibly could be. You know, no, none of us, we say, are indispensable, but perhaps she's as close as we can get. But uh, anyhow, she was not able to do that today. And, uh, of course, we want to remember all those that are sick, and I'll mention some further in our announcements uh, as we uh, have our closing tonight, I uh, saw a few minutes ago where there's been another shooting in Texas, I mean Tulsa, Oklahoma, at a hospital there, and uh, four are dead, including the gunman. So uh, we want to remember those folks in our prayers. And of course, uh, we need to look around us and think about those that we know that are sick, those that are under the weather that need encouragement. And uh, we need to be other person-centered, other person-focused rather than focused on ourselves. So think about those that you can encourage in some small way. And, you know, if you would just resolve to encourage one person a day, that will be a goal of yours. Every day I want to encourage one person intentionally. Uh, it would go a long way, I think, uh, toward not only uh, helping you as an individual, but the church as a whole. So before we begin tonight... Uh, Let's have a word of prayer with you. Bow with me. Our merciful and kind Heavenly Father, we are truly grateful for all you do for us each day. We're mindful of the, of the fact that we're even here tonight because of your grace and your mercy. We thank you for all of our blessings, our physical and material blessings, but more importantly, those spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're thankful for this church here that meets at Boonville for all the good that is done uh, through the works that are engaged here, and we are thankful for our elders and the leadership that prevails, and we pray that the church here in this area will continue to be a shining light in this community. Father, please bless us as we study your word tonight, and may we take it to heart the things that we are going to talk about and apply them to our lives. Most of all, we're thankful for your son, Jesus, who gave his life on the cross, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I don't know if you heard this story or not. Two guys were working for City Public Works Department, and here's how it would happen. Uh, one would dig a hole. The other would fall in behind him and fill the hole in. So here you have one worker that dug a hole. The other worker would fill in the hole right behind him. And they worked up one side of the street and then down the other. Then they moved on to the next street. And they worked furiously all day without rest. One man digging a hole, the other filling it up again. An onlooker was amazed at their hard work, but was somewhat puzzled at what they were trying to do. So he asked the hole digger, 
I mean, I'm impressed by the work you two are doing. And I don't get it, though. Why do you dig a hole and only have your partner follow behind and fill it up again? Well, the hole digger wiped his brow and said, Well, I suppose it probably looks odd because we're normally a three-person team, but the guy who plants the trees called in sick today. So anyhow, hopefully you won't see that happen. Or JT probably will say, you can see it in Alabama anytime, right? Okay. All right, tonight we're going to talk about Abraham. I love to talk about Abraham, the friend of God. Uh, James chapter 2 and verse 23 is where we're going to start, and there we find really the theme of what we're going to discuss tonight. The Bible says, talking about that great subject of faith and its relationship to works, he said, and the Scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he, that is Abraham, was called the friend of God. Now, in this verse, James may be referring to 2 Corinthians chapter 20 and verse 7, which says, Are not you God who drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel? and gave it to the seed of Abraham, your friend forever. Well, that's one of them uh, modern social media type expressions, right? Forever friends. What is that? It used to be BFF? Best friends forever? Kind of kind of sounds like that in Second Chronicles, doesn't it? Also, it could be Isaiah 41 verse 8, which says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham. Abraham, my friend. That's a great compliment, isn't it? Isn't it a great compliment to be called the friend of God? Wouldn't that be a wonderful epitaph on a person's tombstone? You know, to have it say there, a friend of God. Now, certainly nobody wants to be the enemy of God, do we? You know, bad things tend to happen when you're the enemy of God. It's like that old... Uh, what is it, that movie, The Outlaw Josie Wales? You know, uh, the Indian commented, it seems like that nobody you like seems to stay around very long, you know. Well, well, I don't want to be the enemy of God, you know. Uh, I want to be his friend. I want to be on his side. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, the Bible says, You who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now... He hath reconciled. Now notice the contrast there. At one time we were enemies, right? Why? What caused us to be enemies of Christ and God? Sin. Sin was a barrier. And we were in a hopeless, helpless situation. We couldn't do anything about it ourselves. And so God put in motion His plan through Jesus Christ to reconcile us back unto Himself. And so where there was once enmity, now there is peace. Peace between us and God, and peace between us and one another. And so uh, Abraham, I think there's some things about his life that we can observe uh, that made him to be called the friend of God. And so I think if we'll become a person 
that follows the example of Abraham, maybe we too also can be called the friend of God. Now, I want to look at some things tonight about Abraham's life that enabled him to have this characteristic. And I would certainly, I would certainly like to be called the friend of God, but how can I do that? How can you do that? Well, first of all, Abraham believed God. Now, a lot of you grew up in a Christian home, perhaps. I did too. I'm the son of a preacher, right? Uh, I can't recall a time when I never had faith in God. But, you know, faith in God in the lives of many people is very difficult to come by. You know, depending upon the culture in which they were raised or their surroundings and so forth. But Abraham is said to have believed in God. If you look at Romans 4 and verse 3, for example, the Bible says, what says the Scriptures? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. I want you to notice that Abraham believed in the existence of God. Now, you need to keep in mind that Ur of the Chaldees, where Abraham grew up, was a very pagan culture. They worshipped foreign gods, and so... It's kind of odd, I guess, to say that, you know, he was the friend of God, that he believed in God. It's kind of like Vashti, you know, in the Old Testament. You know, we commend Vashti, right, because she refused to expose her body at the king's bidding. And somebody's asked, you know, why did she do that? She believed in God. No, she did not. As far as we know, as far as what the Bible teaches, she believed in pagan gods. But I admire Vashti because of what she did, and we certainly can learn a lot of lessons from her and her life and about her decision that we can talk about at another time. And so Abraham was the friend of God. We know Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe first of all that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so those are the two elements to faith in God. You know, just believing in the existence of God is not nearly enough. In fact, James 2 and verse 19 uh, indicts the demons, doesn't it? It says the devils believe and tremble. You know, their faith in God as a powerful entity, the creator, the sustainer of life, their faith does them no good, does it? And so they believe and tremble. But Abraham believed God's word. If you look at Romans chapter 8, and I should say Romans chapter 4, the same chapter, in verse 18, talking about Abraham here, it says, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, According to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. Now I want you to notice that expression right there that Paul uses about Abraham's faith. It says here that he against hope believed in hope. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that his faith in God's word was such that he believed in God even when from the standpoint of human wisdom and reasoning, he just couldn't, it couldn't really be explained why God ought to be obeyed. It was just unbelievable. 
You know, I can't understand this from human reasoning, from human wisdom. You remember when uh, the children of Israel took uh, Jericho. Remember the command? Walk around the city, what? One time a day for six days? On the seventh day, you shall march around it seven times, and the trumpets will sound, and you will shout with a great shout, and the walls will fall down flat. Now, you explain that by human reasoning and wisdom. Can you? But it was only when they did what God said that the walls fell flat, right? Someone says, I can't understand from human reasoning or wisdom why a person ought to be baptized into Christ. I can't understand how an individual could go down to the watery grave of baptism, and when he goes down into that water, he's a sinner, and when he comes up out of that water, he's forgiven of every sin he's ever committed. How do you explain that by human wisdom? Well, we believe it because of what God said, don't we? God said it. God said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. So even if I can't explain something by human wisdom or reasoning, I still believe in what God said. And so Abraham had that kind of faith. And if we're going to be the friends of God, then we need to have a faith like Abraham. Uh, some may think they have faith in God, even though they may refuse to do what God's Word teaches when that teaching may not coincide with what they believe or what they've been taught or their own human reasoning. You see, we have to put aside our thinking and what we think is true and do what God says whether we really understand it or not. And so we don't try to apply our reasoning to the Bible. We take the Bible and we allow it to fashion and to change our beliefs and our reasoning. And so Abraham believed God. That's why he was a friend of God. And I submit to you that that says a lot about that man in view of the culture in which he lived. Number two, Abraham not only had faith in God, he obeyed God. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, that very familiar chapter, you know, the hall of fame of the faithful, the Bible says, by faith. By faith. How do you know Abraham had faith? By his works. It's by what he did. Nobody can say they have faith. Nobody can unless they demonstrate it. You know, faith could be just a subjective thing in your mind. I believe in God. But biblical faith is always demonstrated by action. The Bible says here, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward received for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he went. Now you can imagine Abraham picking up things and packing things in Ur of the Chaldees, and people ask him, well, where are you going? You know, Ur of the Chaldees was a very refined place culturally at that time. You know, archaeological evidence shows they may have had plumbing, They, you know, some kind of plumbing. I mean, they were as advanced as you possibly could be in that particular day and time. Well, Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. You don't know where you're going, Abraham? No. Well, when are you going to get there? I'll get there when God tells me I'll get there. Well, which way are you going to go? I'm going to go in the direction that God tells me to go. 
You see, the Bible says, by faith, Abraham went out not knowing where he went. And because of his obedience to God, the Bible says he had faith. Down in verse 17 of that same chapter, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried or tested, offered up Isaac, that he had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Now, I want to make reference to this uh, passage about Abraham offering up Isaac, his son, by looking back at James chapter 2 again in our, our, our text tonight. Verse 21, the Bible says, Was not Abraham... Our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar. Did Abraham kill his son? Did he offer him on the altar? Did he? Well, in the eyes of God, he was ready to do it, wasn't it? Only God could stop him. And the Bible says, see how faith was manifested with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. In other words, faith is made complete as a result of our action. Faith is incomplete without our actions. And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. And then James goes on to make a very practical point here in verse 24. He said, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. That's the only place in the entire Bible where you'll find the words faith only. And there it says, not by faith only. It's a very interesting caveat there to think about when people want to advocate the doctrine of faith only for salvation. The only place in the Bible you can find it is here, and it says not by faith only. Notice 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3, which says, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. And so it's inconsistent for one to express how much he loves Jesus and how much he loves God and yet he turns right around and doesn't obey His commands. There's simply no way that that can happen. You can't say you love God, well I guess you can all day long, but unless you obey His commandments and do what He says, that's a lie. You can't love God and not keep His commandments. And you think about Luke 6 and verse 46 where Jesus emphasized this point. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Or in Matthew 7 verse 21, He said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. We know that Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9 says that Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey Him. See, Abraham was God's friend because he humbly submitted to God in obedience. Are you the friend of God? You can be the friend of God if you'll follow the example of Abraham and follow what God's Word has to say. and Put aside any previous notions or ideas or you know whatever parents or preachers may have said or taught down through the years and 
Just simply take what God says and nothing else. You can be the friend of God. The next point I want to make is that Abraham faithfully and regularly worshipped God. Huh? Yep. Okay. No, he didn't. He didn't follow his daddy's step. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, Luther, I don't know what you're going to say, but every time you say it, it's right. You know it? <laughs> I like that. All right. Abraham faithfully and regularly worshipped God. Now, in Genesis 1 and verse 28, the Bible says he removed from there unto a mountain on the east of Bethel. He pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hay on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord his God. Right? There's an example there of Abraham worshiping. In Genesis chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hay, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. How do we call upon the name of the Lord today? It's only one way the Bible says. Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias told Paul, Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's how we call upon the name of the Lord today. Uh, you know, we don't pray for salvation. You know, we don't try to coerce God to, to save us. You know, there's no merit involved in salvation. We're totally dependent upon the blood of Jesus, and we call upon the name of the Lord when we're immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 18, Abraham removed his tent, and he came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and he built an altar unto the Lord. You know, somebody said one time that you could probably trail Abraham and follow him by the smoke that came from his altars. And there may be a lot of truth in that, right? He was one that faithfully and uh, was dedicated toward worshiping God. And he worshiped even though his worship would be costly for him. Now, I want us to look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1, very familiar to most of us. It came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And God said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and get you to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell you of. Well, I don't read about Abraham arguing the point there, do I? I don't read about him discussing it with Sarah, you know. What are we going to do about this? How are we going to get out of this situation? You know, I might have slept in the next morning at least, you know. But the Bible says Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his horse, his donkey, he took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and they had the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, and that wouldn't it be interesting 
conversation, you know, each night by the campfire, what they talked about, you know, you can just imagine. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. I'm just going to go on a little side point here, not for very long because it could be a long topic. Uh, you hear people say today, everything we do in life is worship. Well, you read this passage and that kind of debunks that theory, right? He said, my son and I, we're going to go over there, yonder, and worship. Some people teach when you wash the car, right? When you in recreational activities, whatever you do, you know, you're always worshiping God. Now, you know, that worship and service is something that we cannot confuse. All worship may be service, but all service is not worship. And we need to understand that not everything I do in life is worshiping God. Now, I want to stop right there because our lesson, today's what? Yeah, not, okay, next Wednesday night, we're going to look in detail at Abraham's worship. All right, we're going to go into more detail about what that worship is and some principles that will, I think, help us to understand it more clearly as well. So just kind of hold that until then, but I wanted to get that point in. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, we find in the context, you know, the Hebrew writers trying to encourage those uh, Jewish Christians to remain faithful. You know, you don't go back to the old law. Don't go back to Judaism. He points out how that Jesus is inferior to the angels. That I mean, Jesus is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to the old law. He's even greater than Moses himself. He says, you hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised, Hebrews chapter 10, and let us consider one another to provoke or to encourage and to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we find the example of the early church, how that they continued steadfastly, consistently, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now could it be that maybe some who would claim that they're friends of God are not because they allow any trivial matter to keep them from worship? You know, just about anything that comes along is an excuse not to worship. Now, I came across this several years ago, and y'all probably heard this, the song has been written about excuses that people can offer. I'm just going to read this song, and I'm sure you've heard, some of you have heard this, I'm sure, but it always makes a point. It sounds better when somebody sings it, but certainly I want you to stay, so I won't do that tonight either. It says, excuses, excuses, you'll hear them every day. And the devil, he'll supply them if from the church you stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. In the summer, it's too hot. In the winter, it's too cold. In the springtime, when the weather's just right, you find someplace else to go. Well, it's up to the mountains or down to the beach or to visit some old friend or just staying home, kind of relaxing, hoping some of the kin folks will start dropping in. Well, the church benches, they're too hard and, and the singing's way too loud. 
You know how nervous you get when you're sitting in a great big crowd. The doctor told you, now you better watch them crowds, they'll set you back, but you go to that old ball game because you say it helps you to relax. Well, a headache Sunday morning, a backache Sunday night, but by work time Monday morning, you're feeling quite all right. Why, one of the children has a cold. Pneumonia, do you suppose? Why, the whole family had to stay home just to blow that poor kid's nose. Well, the preacher, he's too young, or maybe he's too old. The sermons, they're not hard enough, or maybe they're too bold. His voice is much too quiet, and sometimes he gets too loud. He needs to have more dignity, or maybe he's too proud. Well, the sermons, they're too long. Well, maybe they're too short. He needs to preach the word with dignity instead of stomp and snort. Well, the preacher we've got must be the world's most stuck-up man. Well, one of the ladies told me the other day, he didn't even shake my hand. And then the last verse says, well, the sermons... No, this, that's it. I've got it. So that's, that. that's basically the song that kind of emphasizes what I'm talking about, you know, excuses. And there's a difference between excuse and a reason. Uh, somebody called me, somebody's called me several times in the past, different people. I sure hope you understand why I went there on Sunday. I'll, I'll reply, I said, it don't matter if I understand or not. Uh, that's between you and God. You know, God knows your heart. You know, you don't have to explain that to me at all. It's between you and God. You know, and there's some people that can't be here. We're not talking about people that, you know, are sick. They have a legitimate health reason why they cannot come. That's understandable. But you need to understand that God loves you and God cares about you and He understands your situation and you don't have to explain it to another person. You know, if you don't or cannot come, it's beyond your control. What do we call that sometimes? Providentially hindered? We hear that word? I don't like that word. You know, providentially hindered, but uh, I guess that gets the meaning across. But anyhow, Abraham faithfully and regularly worshipped God and he was called a friend of God. And let me say, a person can attend, a person can attend every church service every time the doors are open and not be faithful. On the other hand, I don't think a person can be faithful unless he consistently worships God on a regular basis. And so we need to think about that, and we need to consider how important it is that we worship God and the warning that we find in Hebrews chapter 10 and the example that we find in the life of Abraham. All right, quickly, I need to move on. Abraham was a man of hospitality. Not only was he a man of faith, not only was he a man of obedience, not only did he faithfully worship God, he was a man of hospitality. Now, gone are the days of the front porch on the Andy Griffith show in Mayberry, right? Where they're sitting around on the front porch, you know, just relaxing and taking... We're so busy, we ain't got time to sit on the porch anymore, do we? You know, we're busy, busy, busy. And, some, and, and if you think about our world today... One of the characteristics of the world today is people are self-oriented. That's our culture today. They're focused on self. Me, myself, and I. My time, my space, and what I want. The focus isn't on other people. That's why when you watch the news, you'll see the news report about somebody uh, being attacked on the subway, you know, in New York, and everybody's just watching and doing nothing about it, right? They're not other person-centered. They just want to... It's none of my business, right? None of my business. And so people are self-oriented today. They're, they're selfish. And uh, in contrast, Abraham was a man of hospitality. Genesis 18, 1 through 8, the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, 
and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to them from the tent door. He bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, pass not away. I pray you from my servant, let a little water, uh, I pray you be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves there and also uh, get under the tree, under the shade, and I'll make a morsel of bread and comfort your hearts. After that, you shall pass on. So therefore, you are come to your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal and knead it. I want to, I want to ask, Martha, you think that's as good as your bread? What, do you get, what they made there, Sarah? I don't know about that now. You know, if, it, if, if this bread was as good as Martha Eaton's bread, it's, uh, that's pretty good. And Abraham ran to the herd and fetched a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man, and he hasted to dress it, and he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they did eat. Notice here, he washed their feet. Now, there's nothing religiously significant about that. Uh, washing feet is not a religious practice. It was a common practice in that day and time because you wore sandals, and, you know, if you really wanted to demonstrate submission and humility, you would do that for a guest. And when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, it taught them a lesson they would not soon forget. You know, if I, your Lord and Savior wash your feet, then you ought to wash one another's feet, right? I heard churches today that practice foot washing in their worship services sometimes, you know, but uh, certainly it teaches humility, but that's all it teaches. It teaches our attitude toward one another. And so uh, we need to realize that he washed their feet, he invited them to rest, he prepared a meal, a veritable feast. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9 tells us to use hospitality one to another without grudging. You know, hospitality, true hospitality, is becoming a lost art. If exercising hospitality is what it takes to be the friend of God, then we should strive to be that with all of our hearts, shouldn't we? We need to open up our homes to people. Let them know we care about them and we're concerned about them. And that opens up all kinds of doors uh, for us. And hospitality, I believe, is one of the keys to church growth today uh, when we can truly practice the art of being hospitable. All right, one last point I want to make tonight before the... Well, i got some more, but I want to hit these real quick. Abraham exercised proper control of his children. That's why he was a friend of God. The Bible says... In Genesis 18, verse 19, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him that they shall keep the law of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham the thing which he said of him. And, of course, the key words here are after him. You know, sadly in our culture today, many parents are controlled by their children. Uh, in a lot of places, parents are scared to death of their children, aren't they? Kids really aren't taught to respect authority today. Uh, they can get away with murder practically. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, is a very important passage regarding parenting. Uh, These words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall walk of them when you sit down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, when you lie down. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them daily upon the post of your house and on your gates. What I call this is a walking and talking religion. It's everything we do, right? Driving on the way to school. It's not saying here, sit down and have a Bible study. I mean, that can be important, but this is something you talk about on a daily basis. You're teaching lessons every single day. You know, if you're outside playing with your children, you can teach them about God and how He created what they're seeing. There's, you know, every single event in their lives can teach some kind of biblical lesson. And that's what we're talking about here. You teach them diligently to your children. You know, discipline has degenerated into yelling at children sometimes, hasn't it? The Bible says, He that spareth the rod hateth his son. Withhold not correction from the child, for if you beat him with the rod, he shall not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. I heard four things. There's four things I want to share with you briefly. I ain't got time to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. First one I'm guilty of when it comes to your children. Don't scream. I'm naturally loud anyway, no matter what. I'm going to get accused of screaming whether I do or not. And I kind of regret that as a, a parent. You know, my children sometimes uh, thought I was too intense, you know, with my voice sometimes. But first thing is, don't scream at your children. Let them respect you for who you are. Number two, don't make empty threats. I love to watch the parents at the McDonald's playroom, you know. Don't make me come up there. If I have to come up there and get you, you know, don't make empty threats, you know. I'm going to feed you to the cows when we get home, you know. Don't shout. Don't make empty threats. Never permit a challenge to parental authority without correction. You know, that little one-year-old reaches up and knows they shouldn't touch it. You kind of hit their hand a little bit, right? Now, my oldest daughter, she's going to get it no matter what. She's a lawyer now. She's never lost an argument in her own mind. And uh, that's paid some dividends for her. But you know, anytime a child challenges authority, you need to correct that. And number four, uh, never make the consequences of open rebellion painful. That's the fourth point. You know, make, them, make it painful, open rebellion. So I wanted to share those things with you. Now, the bells has rung, and I'm going to quickly mention two things. Abraham was a man of peace. Remember the story of him and Lot? Should let there be no strife between me and you, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Why? Because we are brethren. Abraham was willing to put his own interest ahead of everybody else's if it meant peace. And he was a man of peace. The Bible tells us to follow after the things that make for peace. And then the last point I would like to make, if I had time tonight, was Abraham was a man of his word. When he vowed a vow, he was always true to it. And if I'm going to be the friend of God, I need to be trustworthy. I need to be somebody that other people can depend on and my word is my bond and I'm going to do exactly what I say. And so these are some things I believe about Abraham that can really help us to be the friend of God. 
We need to be a man of our word, people that tell the truth. We need to be people of peace. We need to learn from Abraham to control our children. We need to be believers in God. We need to be obedient to God. And These are some things that will certainly help us in our quest to be the friend of God. Thank you so much for listening tonight. I appreciate it very, very much.
unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my So let's be looking forward to that day. It's going to be a wonderful event. Tonight for our devotional, Brandon Elliott will be leading our singing. The Joe Garrett will then dismiss us in prayer. Good evening. Joe, I felt like it made more sense for you to lead singing and me to do the prayer, but we'll go tonight. Uh, if you have your Bible, or excuse me, your song book, turn to uh, Mark number 902. Number 902, this will be our song of invitation. And once you have that mark, turn to number 797. Number 797. We'll sing the first and last verse. Lord, we come before thee
Tonight during our Bible class in the auditorium, we made reference to James chapter 2 and verse 23 where Abraham is called the friend of God. You know, what a great compliment that is. You know, maybe to have on your tombstone the friend of God. But you know, the Bible's very, very careful about how it describes individuals. And I think there's some reasons why Abraham was the friend of God. And we too can be the friend of God if we can try to follow Abraham's example. How we need to believe in God and who he is. And we need to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to be willing to render complete and full obedience to God without question. Abraham was a man who directed his home in the way that it ought to go. He disciplined his children. He was a man who practiced genuine hospitality toward other people. He was a man of tremendous peace. He was willing to put his own desires aside if it meant peace among brethren, as we find in Genesis chapter 13. You know, being the friend of God is something that all of us need to strive to be. But in order to do that, we have to completely submit to God and to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Putting our own interests, our own desires behind us and follow fully what the Lord would have us to be and to do. Tonight, I want to ask you the simple question, are you the friend of God? Could you be called the friend of God because of your faith, because of your obedience, and because of the attitude you have of seeking him first in all things? You know, being a friend of God certainly begins by obeying the gospel, doesn't it? To become the friend of God, you have to be a child of his, and to become a child of God, you must believe in Jesus with all of your heart that he's the son of God and you need to be willing to change your life live in compliance with God's will and then confess his name that he's the son of God and then as Romans 6 3 and 4 says we are baptized into Christ immersed in water for the remission of our sins so tonight if you're subject to heaven's invitation we ask you to come now as we stand and
Let us pray. Dear most loving Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to come together tonight and study thy word. We pray, Father, that the things that we say and do here is in accordance with thy will. And we pray, Father, that you'll be with us and uh, listening and learning and knowing more about thy word. We ask you to be with those who were mentioned tonight as being sick and under the weather. We pray, Father, that you'll remember them through this week and pray that they'll be back soon. We ask you to watch over us as we travel, as we go home, and as we go about the rest of this week. We pray, Father, that you uh, guard us, direct us, and keep us safe from harm, and forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.